Today is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 to 31, and that's on page 724. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord, or instructed him as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales." He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor is animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom, then, will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. Then he blows them, then he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one. And calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. But let's ask for God's help as we begin. We pray, Father, as we reflect on your power, that you would help us to trust you as the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. We ask that you would meet with us by your spirit, in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with the arrival of electric cars has come the arrival of a new phrase in our English language. 
And that phrase is the phrase range anxiety. Has anyone heard that? Or is it just me? Yes, you've heard it. If you don't know what it is, it's the fear that actually I'm not going to have enough power to get to my destination. Uh, the fear comes, I guess, from worrying whether there's a charging point en route or whether I get to the charging point and someone's parked in there to do their groceries or the charging point's not working and I'm going to be stuck at the side of the road with two tonne of metal and no means of charging the car. That's what is known as range anxiety. Now, my purpose in telling you that is not to convince you not to buy an electric car, far from it, uh, but to speak about another type a range anxiety, a spiritual range anxiety. This range anxiety doesn't come from the fear of not having enough power in the car, but the worry about whether God really has the power to deliver on his promises. See, much of what God promises us lies in the future. Uh, God has promised life beyond death. God has promised a renewed world with no more tears or crying or mourning or pain. But all the time we're in this world, those promises haven't been realized yet. We're not experiencing the full benefits of eternal life. And when we look at things like death, we might think to ourselves, is that even possible? Or we hear God's promise of a renewed world, but then we look at our own world and think, how is that even going to happen? Or we hear God's promise that all who trust in Jesus are forgiven and safe from his judgment, but then we stuff up again, we look at the mess of our own lives, and we doubt whether God has got the power to forgive us. See, that's spiritual range anxiety, the fear that God hasn't got the power, there's not enough in the tank to get us to his destination. And that's where the people in our passage this evening finds themselves. As Woody mentioned, we're beginning this new series halfway through the book of Isaiah, uh, looking over these chapters where God reminds his people who he is. And these people are fearful of what lies around the corner. Just to get our bearings, this is written about 700 years before Jesus, and um, Isaiah writes to a nation that is really at rock bottom. Uh, This is the remnant of the nation of Israel. Now, Israel, uh, before this, was a a mighty nation, but at this point, um, Isaiah says they've been cut down to a stump Uh, He describes them like a tree stump, uh, two two or three centimetres high. Uh, They were this mighty tree, and now they're almost nothing. But God makes some incredible promises to these people. Have a look back at page 686 with me, Isaiah chapter 2, 686. Keep a finger in Isaiah 40. Six hundred and eighty-six, chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what God promises. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the chief among the mountains. It will be raised up above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, 
Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I mean, what an incredible future that the nations will stream to this little nation. And yet, at the moment, they're just a tree stump. And things are about to get go from bad to worse. Have a look at page 723 in chapter 39, back near to the passage we're looking at. Because this is what's going to happen to this people. Chapter 39, verse 6. The time will come when everything in your palace and all your fathers have stored up to this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. So you can see where we lie, don't we? God has promised this incredible future, this utterly transformed nation, and yet here the people are as a tree stump with this massive enemy about to take off everything they have. And the big question they're asking when we get to chapter 40 is, is God able to deliver on his promise? And I hope it's going to help us because I'm sure that is a question we ask ourselves. As God makes these promises to us that all in Jesus are forgiven, I'm sure there'd be bits of us that say to ourselves, is he really able to do that? Is he really able to transform this world? Is he really able to forgive me? Is he really able to to work with little old me? And as I shows the people that he is, He shows them three things tonight. He shows them that God is the incomparable creator, that God is the incomparable ruler, and that that God will renew you. See, first of all then, God is the incomparable creator. We're all used to looking at what someone's done in the past to work out whether they can perform in the future. Uh, I hired a plumber last week. I looked at the reviews of their previous work with the expectation that actually if they've done a good job then, they can do a good job in the future. Or I know some of us are getting engaged, getting married, and um, I guess we're starting to look at wedding photographers. I don't want to panic anyone, but wedding photographers, what do you do when you choose a wedding photographer? Will you look at their previous work and hope that they can perform the same job at your wedding? And there's a similar principle going on here in chapter 40. Isaiah goes back to God's previous work to show us what he can do in the future. What is that work? Well, it comes up in verse 12. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Or who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales? and the heels in a balance. See, Isaiah here rolls the clock back to the beginning of creation and presents God as this master craftsman constructing the universe. But God's not working with kind of wood and metal. He's working with the elements of our earth. But notice how he does his work. He doesn't get a very big instrument. He uses himself. So the world's oceans, well, he measures in the hollow of his hand. I don't know what the volume of your hollow of your hand is, a couple of milliliters perhaps, 
But God uses that to measure the oceans of our earth. Or he uses his palm to measure off the sky. I have no idea how big the sky is, but I wouldn't use the palm of my hand to measure it, and yet God does. Or look at how he measures the mountains with his kitchen scales, the Himalayas, the the Alps. He pops on his kitchen scales. See, God is incomparable in his size. But it's not just this world he creates. Look at verse 26, where Isaiah says, Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by a name. Uh, The heavens he's talking about there is the night sky. And he says, look up, look at all the stars. Who has called them out? And the word here is... um, It's the word for a kind of, it's a military word. It's the idea that these stars, you can imagine, marching out uh, in their military ranks. God has called them. I've been watching um, this uh, Netflix documentary on the uh, James Webb telescope. Anyone seen that? Or am I just the only nerd here? Yes, okay, maybe. Uh, I'm sure some of us aren't owning up to it. But um, the James Webb telescope is absolutely fascinating. Uh, It's been 20 years in the making. It's been designed uh, to replace the Hubble telescope. And the thing that makes this impressive is that um, it picks up the light or the electromagnetic radiation that the Hubble telescope can't pick up. And um, it's so sensitive, it can pick up the oldest of light, or the, the, in other words, the stars that are furthest away. Now, if you're into astrophysics, come and tell me where I got that wrong afterwards. But um, as they launched this telescope, and as they took the first couple of photos, uh, they released this photo to the public. And this photo, I'm told, is the equivalent of holding a grain of sand at arm's length in the sky... And it's that kind of patch of whatever grain of sand is in the sky. And and the telescopes looked at this. And you'll see, um, they're all different colors. This is galaxies. And on the bottom left, there are some red patches. And they are the kind of furthest away. And that little galaxy on the bottom left there is estimated to be 12 billion light years away. Now, a light year is unimaginable. In, in its kind of measurement, isn't it? I mean, light travels seven and a half times around the circumference of the world in one second. So you can imagine how far light can travel in one minute or one hour or one day or one month or, you know, one year is unimaginable. But it's not just one year, it's 12 billion of those years. That's how far away just that one galaxy is. And of course there are billions and upon billions that we've not yet seen. And Isaiah says that each of those stars, in their perfect balance, in their perfect place, has been called out by your God. See, God is not just a slightly bigger version of you and me, He's not just a God that we kind of might imagine in our heads. He is incomparably powerful. And so when 
the people in Isaiah's day get the range anxiety, when they look at their circumstances, well, yes, it may be feel impossible, but they mustn't forget who their God is. He is the one that has created supernova, that has created galaxies, that creates black holes, that calls every single one of them into their place. But there's a second way Isaiah shows us that God is able to deliver on his promises. And that comes here in this second point, as we see that God is the incomparable ruler. See, Isaiah knows there are very good reasons that his people are experiencing spiritual range anxiety. Because it's not just that they are seemingly in an impossible situation, but they've got the odds stacked against them. They've got insurmountable enemies around the corner. As we saw earlier, they are about to face the military might of Babylon. Now, Babylon was the China of its day, this rising superpower, and they were a military machine able to squash a nation like a fly. And it just seemed almost comical for God to make these incredible promises about this nation being renewed. But that is to forget who their God is. See, look at what Isaiah says about those nations in verse 15. He says, Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. See, the Babylonians, the Chinas or the USAs or all the world's military combined are just like a couple of molecules of H2O dropping into an oil drum of water. Or he says, they're like dust on the scales. Now, I got a very good image of this. Uh, Yesterday, I was baking bread. uh, Not on my own. I've got a bread maker, so it is cheating, I know. But um, would you believe it? uh, As I got the scales out, um, some flour had spilt on the scales. And so I took the kitchen scales over to the sink and wiped the flour off. And God says that the nations, the military pride of Vladimir Putin or King Jong-un, are as much of a challenge to him as wiping the flour off the kitchen scales. See, God is not just a very strong version of me. As Woody said, he's not a character out of a Marvel film. He is incomparable in his rule. And verse 22 tells us he is seated above the circle of the earth so that its people are like grasshoppers. Um, To be seated is uh, to to have your throne. And um, God's throne is not on the earth, nor is it in, in the sky, but it is above the circle of the earth. The circle was the kind of half circle we see in the sky above us. And God's throne is above that. I don't know if you've um, ever sort of look out the window when you're on a flight. I, I'm just mesmerized uh, by the whole thing. And um, I love looking out. As you're beginning to land, you start to see the little cars on the motorway as you, you fly into the place. And they look like a toy. Um, they look 
unreal because they are so small. And, you know, I don't think I've ever seen people in them. But if you look closely, I guess you might make out a person. And God says that actually his throne is so above us that he looks on the biggest enemies as tiny little dots in the cars or as Isaiah puts it, like grasshoppers, those bugs you, or insects you barely make out on a grain. See, God is the incomparable ruler. Now, I get today that our fears don't come from oppressive rulers, although for a lot of Christians around the world, that is the case. But we still have our enemies. We still have the enemies of sin and death. We look at death and we look at the dark shadow it casts on humanity and we think to ourselves, that is an impossible enemy to overcome. Or we look at sin, that constant tendency to drift from God's ways, to stray from his path in our hearts. And the thing is, those enemies are too big for you. You think you can fight them on your own, well, you won't succeed. But they're not too big for God. Death is like a drop in the bucket. Sin is like the flower being wiped off the scales. See, God is the incomparable creator. He is the incomparable ruler. But there is one more thing that Isaiah says here to calm his people's anxiety. And we see it here in this third and final point, that God uses that incomparable power and rule for the benefit of me. See, look at what Isaiah says in verse is, uh, or rather, look at what the people are feeling in verse 27. Isaiah says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. This is the range anxiety. God has forgotten me. God is not with me. God is not able to deliver me. It's a cry they uh, are making, and I'm sure it's a cry that at least some of us will have uttered, if not right now. Have you forgotten me, God? Are you able to overcome these circumstances? But look at what Isaiah replies in verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. See, the people had forgotten who their God was. He was the creator of the heavens and earth. He uses his incomparable power to make galaxies. He can use his power to benefit his people. And we see him use that power to help his people. He will not grow tired or weary. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. See, God is not just incomparable and far off. A lot of religions have a very big God and a very big powerful God. 
but then people struggle to understand how God can be near. Or other religions might have many gods to look after different aspects of life, but any one of those gods is not powerful enough to do anything about my overall circumstances. But the God of the Bible is both incomprehensibly powerful and unimaginably close to his people. He comforts the broken. He strengthens the weak. And we see that most clearly, of course, just over 700 years later after this is written, as the Lord Jesus is born as an infant. This baby was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as this baby grew, well, he became a man who, with incomprehensible power, able to heal the sick with a touch, able to open the eyes of a blind. He was able to calm the storm, so much so that the disciples, of all people, asked the question, who is this? And yet, for all his power, he used it to comfort, to bring healing. He comforted the broken. He strengthened the weak. And ultimately, he did that as he went to his death and died on the cross. He defeated our enemies. He ended death. He brought forgiveness of sin. So that God who is incomprehensible in power and rule is unimaginably close to us in strengthening the weak. What are we to do with this passage as we leave it um, this week? Well, the answer comes, I think, in verse 31, where Isaiah says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I've asked the question, what do we do? In one sense, it's not to do anything, is it? It's not to take action, it's to wait on the Lord. And that word wait, it's a, it's a word that means trust, to hope. Um, not hope in the sort of vague sense that something might happen, like um, England are going to get out of the group stage at the Rugby World Cup next week. Uh, but, um, but this, a certain hope, a hope knowing that God is able to do this, It's to put all my eggs in the God basket. It's to build my life on him. It's not that Isaiah minimizes the situation. It's not that he says your problems don't matter, have a stiff upper lip or anything like that. He's saying, remember who your God is. Remember his incomparable power and rule. And the question for us is, will we wait on the Lord? Now, be some of us here this evening who wouldn't describe ourselves as Christian, and as I've said every week, we love having people come into St. Mary's to look into the Christian faith for themselves. We want to be very open to questions, to thinking things through uh, for yourself. So please do feel very welcome. But the question off the back of this is, what do I make of this God? As I look at the universe around me, with all its unimaginable beauty and complexity, How do I say it got there? Is it this God or something else? And if it is the possibility that there is a God at the center of it like this, 
Well, is that, that worth looking into? And please do ask someone sitting near you how you can do that. But for those of us who are walking with him, I guess that there will be times where we feel the range anxieties. I know I do, and I know lots of us will. And when we do, we need to come back to the God we have. As I says, look up to the heavens. Who made these? Um, I, I guess a good application off the back of this might be to buy a telescope. Or to, um, I was thinking of getting that little image and putting it above my desk to remind me how big a God I'm serving um, really is. Or next time we're fearing what might lie, uh, lie around the corner, perhaps getting some scales, putting a little bit of flour on, I don't know, do some baking, and, and to wipe it off thinking actually that is as hard, uh, as, as hard as I found that is as hard as God finds uh, defeating my enemies. Or perhaps you can think of more imaginative things afterwards. But are we coming back to this God? Are we waiting on him? And are we encouraging one another? I guess as we see one another up against it, going through life's ups and downs, it'd be great, wouldn't it, to be encouraging one another to look up, to look to our incomparable creator God, the one who is an incomparable ruler, who has directed that power to the benefit of you and me. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And so we pray, Father, that as we grow tired and weary, that you would help us to look up to you. Help us, Father, to trust you, to look to your power and your heart to work that power towards us. Please encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Rob's going to join me as we have a look at some of the questions that have come in, uh, which, if your eyesight's good, you can read on the screen behind <laughs> me. Um, hopefully, if the technology works, we'll be able to highlight the one we're actually looking at. So thank you for sending those questions uh, into us. Let's just work through them with the most voted. Um, so first one... There you go. First one is a comment. I find it really hard to think God cares about my little troubles when there are so many great so great global problems happening. It's so great to see that God renews and strengthens and cares for me. And by four, four votes, sees that it's an encouragement for all of us. So thank you oh, for, for bringing that out in Isaiah chapter, chapter 40. Um, let's go. Next one. Keep moving around. Everyone's waiting for them. Um, <laughs> Here we go. Let's go this one. How do we recognize God's strength when we are weak or weary, keeping going when the race of life seems like a challenge on the ground, not so much soaring like an eagle? Using the last few. Yeah, thank you. And I, I guess you're referencing verse 31, that they will soar on wings like eagles. I don't think that means that we're going through life um, flying or sort of always, you know, everything's fine. Um, I, I think that's far from it. But I think in the fullness of time, uh, I think as we look back uh, in God's new creation, we will soar like uh, we're on wings of eagles. Uh, we will look back and think, wow, my God has changed my circumstances 
to bring about this um, magnificent uh, ending, um, or start, if you like. Uh, how do we recognize that, though? Because quite often we're weak and we're weary, and if you are, that is the authentic pattern of the Christian life, so you're in good company. Um, I've been reading through the two Corinthians in quiet times and just seeing there again, actually, that the authentic mark of ministry is weakness, is uh, having to cry out to God for his strength because I feel so uh, weary. Uh, how do I keep going? Well, I think it is passages like this that remind me of who my God is. Um, so, like I said at the end, I know it's a bit tongue-in-cheek buying a telescope, but do, you know, um, because actually, it's actually, as I does say, look up, look at the heavens, and with the James Webb telescope, we can look far beyond was imaginable in Isaiah's day. Um, I guess it is reminding one another of passages like this, so that, you know, if we're having a tough time, which some of us will, of course, that we've got another friend at church coming alongside us and saying, look, do you remember what we saw on Sunday, that God uh, is so much bigger than our circumstances? Uh, Not to minimize things, not to brush them aside, but to keep lifting our eyes uh, onto our God. Um, But it'd be great in the tea and coffee afterwards to chat that through one another. Perhaps it's not buying a telescope, but what is it uh, instead? Great. Thanks, Rob. Um, Let's go to another well-voted question. If thinking about the context in Isaiah and how that might apply to us, if God crushed his people in Isaiah's time, how can we know he will not crush us? Yeah, thank you. So part of um, what Isaiah is trying to do is to show us that God is immensely patient. So he brings his judgment on a people after centuries upon centuries of them turning their back on him, of denying him. He sends prophets, he sends warnings, And yet, time after time, his people turn their back on him. So what God does is to take away his special favor towards them, and um, they live out the consequences, actually, of what they wanted, which was to God to to shove off, uh, to put it bluntly. So this isn't God kind of crushing a people who desperately wanted him. He's given them uh, the autonomy that they're craving and wanting. Uh, And that is a terrifying thing as we look through the book of Isaiah, Uh, But one other theme we see that is far bigger in the book of Isaiah is that through that work, through that rejection, God brings about this plan of salvation. Uh, How he does that, you'll have to read the whole book, Uh, but it is incredible to see that both at the same time God says this judgment is coming and it's perfectly valid, but I'm going to work through this to make you a righteous city. I'm going to make you a new people, that the whole world will know my name through you. And um, without giving the game away, it's as we see Jesus come to fulfill that pattern that God works his promises. So how do I know uh, if he crushes people in Isaiah's time that he will not crush us? Because of what Isaiah promises, which is a savior, a servant, who would die for his people's sins to make them right with him. And that's what we see in Jesus. Great. Thanks so much, Rob.